All right, good morning, everybody. You'll turn your Bibles to 2 Kings chapter 24 and 25. We'll finish up the book today. Next week, um, David Spence will be sharing about Here Are My Ministries. That's his ministry in Africa, kind of uh, water, but way beyond water now. Uh, schools and, and churches and uh, pastoring and, and so on. So that'll be next week. Join us for that, both services. David Spencer with Here Are My Ministries will be sharing. Um, after that, we'll move on to the next book, but for now, we're going to finish up 2 Kings 24 and 25. Camp went great. Thank you for all of you that helped and joined in to minister and bless these kids. I think they had a good time. Most returned safely to their parents. Some did not, unfortunately, but that is the price we pay for fun. So, how's your finger? Eh? Yeah, okay. He's like, fine. Don't make a deal out of it. It was a good time. Um, tonight at 7 o'clock at the pavilion on campus on the, up there at Northwest Missouri State, we're having a community prayer time. You're welcome to join us at 7 o'clock. Um, be there a little bit early, maybe 6.45 or so, and uh, that's what's going on tonight. There's four sections of prayer. First one will be worship and so on. There's others, repentance and, and so on, and we'll spend about five or ten minutes corporately in prayer for those four things. So it's uh, uh, several churches will be there, not just ours. I'll be leading the first session, and then you can go home because, I mean, I'm just saying. Join us for that. It'd be great. Um, also, women's luncheon coming up. Sign-up sheets in the, on the table on the way out. Uh, there's also one more uh, spot for the Stidhams. They had their baby, and a meal needs to be brought to them today. So if you're, in, if you're up for that, go ahead and put your name down, then give them a call and let them know what time you're going to come by and what you're going to bring. But that's out there also. And then finally, the uh, men's uh, retreat that Grace Evangelical out of St. Joe, they're a Calvary Chapel affiliate. Um, they're going to host a men's uh, night up here at the camp at Mazingo. For the, it's at the children's camp where we normally have our camp, but it's going to be there for adult, for men. Um, you can sign up for that online. You'll have to register online for that. And so in this week's email, we'll try to put a link in the email for you to go ahead and go right there and do it. It's super cheap. I mean, it's if you wanted to spend the night, it's like five bucks. If you want a meal, it's five bucks. If you don't want either of those things, it's free. Um, so join join us for that. Um, and that's coming up in September, so you have some time. Uh, but we'll try to include that link in our email. If you don't get the email and you want to get it, you have to go onto our website, ccmaryville.com. Pretty simple. Calvary Chapel, Maryville, CC Maryville, and just sign up and say, I want the emails, and you'll get them. Now, uh, it's a mass email, so those go to your spam. Google has a, a, an algorithm. It's a, just an app. It just sends it to spam. So you have to change your preferences. Go into there and say, I want this. Don't put in spam anymore. That's up to you. We send it out. you got to find it somewhere in your email there. If you've got Google, good luck. Um, but that's how you get to the know on what's going on as far as prayer times, ministries, things happening, baptisms, and so on. We are planning a baptism. I have two so far that want to be baptized again. Uh, we won't be going to the pool anymore. They require masks, so we won't be going there. But we're going to go out to Mazingo and do it out there. Um, so after second service, I think we're going to do it next Sunday. I don't know. Um, we want to make sure it's okay for all those getting baptized if, they, if that's a good uh, day for them. But we'll let you know um, next Sunday whether we're going to be out there. It'll be after second service. We'll meet out there in about 45 minutes after second service or so. Um, we'll try to do it like at 1 or 1.30. Um, but I'll let you know the specific time, and then we'll baptize those. And anybody else that's received Christ as their Lord and Savior, and you've never been water baptized, and you'd like to do that, we'll be glad to do that uh, at our next baptism. So those things are coming up. All right, we got a lot. Two chapters. We got to get at it. We got communion too. Verse one, chapter twenty-four. In his days, 
Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came up, and Jehoiakim became his vassal or his servant for three years. Then he turned and rebelled against him. And the Lord sent against him raiding bands of the Chaldeans, bands of Syrian, bands of Moabites, and bands of the people of Ammon. He sent them against Judah to destroy it, according to the word of the Lord, which he had spoken by his servants, the prophets. Surely, at the commandment of the Lord, this came upon Judah to remove them from his sight because of the sins of Manasseh, according to all that he had done, and also because of the innocent blood that he had shed, for he had, fulfilled, he had filled Jerusalem with innocent blood, which the Lord would not pardon. There were a lot of things that God would overlook or wait for repentance for, but the Blood of innocent people was something God wouldn't put up with. It was a continual thing with them. They would pass their children through the fire. They would sacrifice these children to Moloch in, in hopes of a better life, in hopes of better economic situations. And, and the, the streets were filled with it. That's how God saw that. He looked down and said, didn't say, well, that's just a choice. He didn't look down and say, well, that's just their prerogative. He saw the blood of the innocents flowing through the city. Now, nobody else did. The rest of them were okay with it. They had become used to it. It had become part of their society. But as far as God said, he was counting. That's another one. That's another one. And building up wrath against those people. And finally, he said, that's enough. Sometimes we think our sin only affects us. It's just me. But in the process of our sin, we leave a wake of destruction in our path. And those are the people that we're worried about, that God is looking at. And when I leave nothing in my life but a wake of destruction behind me and the people around me are suffering and the innocents are dying, that's enough, he says. I'm not going to put up with that anymore. And we can see God saying that and doing that. In verse 2, it says he'd spoken all these things by his servants, the prophets. At this time, there are prophets all over Israel and have been throughout all the kings telling them they need to repent. You need to stop doing this. Not not that they're going to avoid the judgment, but that what they're doing is wrong. A lot of people don't understand that. We're reading a book to the kids, Little Britches. We're reading to the kids. Yeah, a great book. Well, last night's chapter is we're all laying in there in the bed, and Jenny's just a great reader. You know, we're all tired from camp. We're sitting there listening to Jenny read. And she, we get to this point in the story where the little boy's got this great relationship with his dad with his family, just loves him, and just learn how to be a, a man, not a boy. He's, he's little, but still eight, nine years old or whatever at this point, but he's learning. And he's been accumulating money as he's gone out to work, and he's been throwing that into the family pot as they established this ranch in Colorado. And so he's having some ownership in what they're doing as they're settling there in Colorado. Well, he gets this idea, boy, I remember what fudge tastes like. And he asks his mom, when's the next time fudge is going to be made in the house. She's not till Christmas, probably. And he's like, hmm. So he begins to think about that baker's bar of chocolate that's up in the counter, you know, up, in the, up in the cabinet there that's being saved for special. you know. And he's thinking about how he could maybe cut off a piece of it and no one would notice. And he gets to that place where he actually takes it. And his mom comes in. And instead of cutting off a piece, he has to shove the whole thing in his pocket really quick. And he walks out the door to go to work for his dad. And it's sitting in his pocket. You know, that conviction just sitting there. And all day long, he thinks his dad knows and is looking at him. And everything his dad says, he's feeling that conviction. His dad says, what's wrong with you? And he says, nothing. And he goes, there's something wrong with you. I can tell. You know? Of course, he loves his dad. And his dad loves him. There's nothing wrong here. But he waits till night. And he goes out to chop wood. And he takes out the bar of chocolate. He's going to take a half inch off the end of it. And as soon as he's about to do that, his dad comes out and says, what are you doing? And he shoves the 
Barb chocolate in there. His daddy says, picked me up by the back of my overalls like I was nothing, slapped me over his knee and began to hit me with a board. I never thought someone could get spanked so hard. And some people are like, that's child abuse. No, 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 it's correction. It's correction. And it hurt. We know that we're God's. He tells us in the New Testament when we get spankings from him. That's how we know we're his. His dad was so upset by the character that was displayed in the stealing of the chocolate from the family and the way it was done that he gave him a spanking. He wasn't going to let it go unpunished because he loves him. We've got to straighten that character out. Now, the beautiful part of this story that almost brought me to tears last night was how it concluded. He says, I'm not spanking you because you stole the chocolate. I know that you've been contributing to the family. I know that this is your money, and you very well could have just had the chocolate if you'd asked, because it's yours, which is what the kid kind of thought in his mind. I've been doing this. This is kind of mine. He says, it's that you snuck it from me. It's that you tried to hide it. That's what bothered me. And I'm not so sure I want someone as a partner in my ranch that I can't trust. And that broke the kid's heart. He says, I'm going to separate my money from your money, and you keep it because I think that's best. And he just cried. No, I want to be a part of this. I I don't want to be separated from this. I want to be a part of the, the family. I want to contribute. He says, okay, then. He says, but if I'm going to have a partner, I need someone I can trust, someone I can have who's going to be honest with me. And the the ending line is one of the greatest lines I think ever written, I've ever heard in any book. And I've read, well, a few, maybe two, three. But the ending line was this, I went to bed, but the, the hurt was still lingering, not from my spanking, but from the handshake my dad gave me afterward. I love that line. You see, we may get spanked by God. We may need correction and righteousness. We may need to be brought back and have our character checked by God, which is what's happening to the nation of Israel here. He's not forsaking them. He's not passing his promises off to somebody else. He's saying, I'm not going to let this go anymore. Enough. And they're taking them, they're they're at the woodshed right now. It's the handshake afterwards. Please remember that with God. You may be getting spanked right now, or one's coming, or you've had one recently, and it still kind of hurts. You don't want to sit. Remember, you wouldn't be his, if you didn't have that, you wouldn't be his. And the handshake afterwards, the forgiveness, the love that he has for you is there. He's been speaking by the prophets this whole time. Repent, not to get out of the spanking you're about to get, but so that you know you're wrong. And I know that you know you're wrong. See, a lot of people repent, or a lot of people say they're sorry to God because they're afraid of the impending punishment. No, that's coming. Babylon's coming. The captivity is coming. Nothing's going to stop this train. But you can repent and go into this situation repentant, broken, humble, receiving what you have coming to you, knowing that there's a handshake afterwards. But you need to receive this. And the prophets are saying this. The Old Testament is broken up into five sections. There's the law, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. There's history, which is what we're reading this morning. Joshua, Judges, Ruth, 1st and 2nd Samuel, 1st and 2nd Kings, 1st and 2nd Chronicles, Ezra, Nehemiah, and Esther. And then there's the major prophets, not major because they're more important, but because they're longer. Isaiah, Jeremiah, Lamentations, Ezekiel, and Daniel. 
Then there's the minor prophets, not because they're less, but because they're short little books. I like to read those. Hosea, Joel, Amos, Obadiah, Jonah, Micah, Nahum, Habakkuk, Zephaniah, Haggai, Zechariah, and Malachi. Oh, I skipped the poetry and the wisdom books. Job, Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Song of Songs, or Song of Solomon. It's broken up that way. But during these historical times, as we're reading in Kings, there are also contemporary prophets at that time going around. The prophets of the day are Habakkuk, Zephaniah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel. They're spread out telling everybody, this is what's happening to your country. You may not be able to avoid the Babylonian captivity, but you can certainly change your heart so that when you go into captivity, you go humbly accepting the punishment of God, knowing that there's a handshake afterwards. They're crying out, and it's happening. It's unfolding before them. What is prophecy? It's designed to let people know the future, not to change it necessarily, but to know that God knows. He's omnipotent, omniscient. He knows all things. And so then when you see these things happening that he said was going to happen, we realize, wow, he's in charge. And we give him honor, glory, and we serve him and we worship him because he knows. We know he's the creator. That's what it's for. Sometimes you can change the outcome, whether it's Jonah preaching to Nineveh, 40 days tell judgment, not a long prophecy, but a, but a powerful one. The entire nation repents in sackcloth and ashes and turns back to God. So, good, but not in this case. This case, Babylon's coming, and he's letting them know it's coming, but he'd like them to go in in a place in, a, in their heart where they can be taught. Now, the rest of the acts of Jehoiakim and all that he did, are they not written in the book of the Chronicles of the Kings of Judah? So, Jehoiakim rested with his fathers. Then Jehoiachin, his son, reigned in his place. It's probably pronounced Jehoiakim, but it's too close to the other, his dad, so I'm going to change it to Chin. And the king of Egypt did not come out of the land anymore, for the king of Babylon had taken all that belonged to the king of Egypt from the brook of, Euph of Egypt to the river Euphrates. He's conquered that much. Jehoiachin was 18 years old when he became king, and he reigned in Jerusalem three months. His mother's name was Neheshta the daughter of um, Elnathan of Jerusalem. And he did evil in the sight of the Lord according to all that his father had done. Did you catch that? Even though these are happening, even though he sees Babylon coming, even though the prophets are telling him why it's happening, he's still doing evil in the sight of the Lord. He will rebel against all these people that are coming against him, but he's rebelling not because he wants to repent or because he wants to stand up for righteousness in the Lord, because he's doing God's work. He's rebelling because he wants to do what he wants to do. I want to be left alone in my sin. You guys are inhibiting that. I want you all gone. So he's fighting against the consequences of his own sin. At that time, the servants of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came up against Jerusalem, and the city was besieged. And Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came against the city as his servants were besieging it. Then Jehoiachin, king of Judah, and his mother, and his servants, his princes, his officers, went out to the king of Babylon, and the king of Babylon, in the eighth year of his reign, took him prisoner. And he carried out from there all the treasures of the house of the Lord and the treasures of the king's house. And he cut in pieces all the articles of gold which Solomon, king of Israel, had made in the temple of the Lord, as the Lord had said. Also he carried into captivity all Jerusalem, all the captains and all the mighty men of valor, 10,000 captives, 
and all the craftsmen and smiths. None remained except the poorest people of the land. And he carried Jehoiachin captive to Babylon, the king's mother, the king's wives, his officers, and the mighty of the land he carried into captivity from Jerusalem to Babylon. All the valiant men, 7,000, and craftsmen and smiths, 1,000, all who were strong and fit for war, these the king of Babylon brought into cap- brought captive to Babylon. What's happening here is he's taking the cream of the crop, the smartest of the smart. Those were at the top. Babylon was in, had a custom of taking these smartest and brightest and most advanced people, the brightest minds, the sharpest tacks, bring them to the top. Babylon was the pinnacle of information. And they could build upon those things. They didn't have to reinvent them. They just had to say, okay, what have you discovered in your country? That's good, that's good. What have you discovered? And all of a sudden, this pooling of all this wisdom was coming together. At this time, some of the people in this list are Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. You've heard the names. These are 13, 14, 15, 16-year-old boys, along with many others, that were sharp, smart. They knew stuff. The king recognized that. The, The rulers recognized that and brought them in. They're going to be treated like kings. In the book of Daniel, chapter 1, verses 1 through 8, Daniel writes about this very moment that we're reading here on Sunday. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand with some of the articles of the house of God, which he carried into the land of Shinar, to the house of his God. And he brought the articles into the treasure house of his God. Then the king instructed Ashpenaz, the master of his eunuchs, to bring some of the children of Israel and some of the king's descendants and some of the nobles, young men in whom was no blemish but good-looking, gifted in all wisdom, possessing knowledge and quick to understand, who had ability to serve in the king's palace and whom they might teach the language and literature of the Chaldeans. And the king appointed for them a daily provision of the king's delicacies and of the wine which he drank and three years of training for them so that at the end of the time they might serve before the king. Now among those of the sons of Judah were Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. To them the chief of the eunuchs gave names, changed their names, tried to anyway. He gave Daniel the name of Belteshazzar. To Hananiah, Shadrach, to Mishael, Meshach, and to Azariah, Abednego. But Daniel purposed in his heart. It's the most important verse of today's study. Daniel purposed in his heart. It's not even in our section of scripture that we're covering, but it does have to do with it. Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself with the portion of the king's delicacies, nor with the wine which he drank. Therefore, he requested of the chief of the eunuchs that he might not defile himself. He considered it a defilement to begin to take this privilege that was coming to him from this worldly king who represents Satan. Your brains are valuable to me. I don't want you with the rest of the scrubs out there. I'm going to bring you into the king's palace. We'll give you a more education. We'll provide for you room and board. You'll, have, you'll eat from my table. I mean, it'll be sent to you, but you'll eat from it. And Daniel said, I'd rather not. That's a defilement. This is a kid who knew this while in Israel, 
He wanted to be obedient to God while being taken captive. He knew this. And while in captivity, when any teenager would have a reason to rebel against God, this would be the time. What God? The God who didn't protect me from my family, that separated me from my parents? The God who didn't protect my land? The God who did? I mean, he could have had a lot of reasons to not obey God, but he knew better. Daniel was sharp enough to listen to the prophets. He was sharp enough to know he had prepared himself in Israel so that he purposed in his heart, when this time comes and privilege is offered to me to reject the things of the Lord and to follow the things of the world, I will not do it. It's during a time of peace that you prepare for war. You cannot prepare for war in war. It's too late. You've lost. It has to be done prior. You have to be thinking of your heart. I don't know what I would do if we ever got persecuted. I don't know if I'd have those kind of guts like I read about those that died for their faith, that I read through all the martyrs. I believe that God will give you the Holy Spirit and give you all that you have need of, all the strength you have need of at that moment. You may not be able to imagine yourself standing up for Christ now, but I, I believe he'll give you that when you need it. Right now, this morning, in Godspeak Calvary Chapel in California, they are meeting to find the governor's order, the emperor's order over there in California, Emperor Newman or whatever, Newsom. They're meeting. No mass, hugging, no social distancing. We're done with it. There's been a judge's order saying, cease and desist. They said no. The first thousand people are going to get citations. I don't know what they're going to do with the thousands of others of people that will join them today. We stand with them this morning. I don't know that I've ever explained our stance. Well, let me take this time. Trying to formulate my thoughts, understanding as a pastor, never having to go through anything like this that's coming our way, but I'm prepared for it. God's preparing me for it, preparing us for it. So far, we haven't had to do anything at first. Sure, we want to be team players. We don't know what it is either. We want to help. Two weeks turned into too long. So we're back. I don't know what will happen next, but I do know this. There is a salvation timeline that takes place and has, take, has taken place ever since Peter gave his first message. Ever since Jesus ascended on the throne, there are unbelievers there are new believers just trying to get their legs underneath them. There are mediocre folks that are trying to figure out what church to join. Then you got the old seasoned saints that are locked in for the long haul. Then you got the dead people that died in Christ. And you've got the dead people that died without Christ. This is constantly flowing, constantly going, preaching new, teaching, raising up, training, dying, new, and so on. You get the point. In California, they have had a freeze on that. And the pastors have had enough. For I don't know how many months they've been locked down, but Satan has had free reign on these people. Of course God can work. Of course he can step in. But when you shut the mouths of people that are called by God, by his Holy Spirit, to preach the gospel, and they're all quiet because they can't, oh, we can do it virtually. Look, we've got 32 people watching. I don't have a better word to describe it, but there's been a hiring freeze, so to speak. 
for months now. And people that were supposed to get saved or might have gotten saved are now hearing silence from one side, but they are definitely being engaged by Satan constantly. The world has never stopped pushing them, preaching to them, telling them that they don't need him or anybody else. They can do it. You're the captain of your own ship. Sail on, blood and all. Enough, they said. They're going to start hearing from the other side now. There's going to be a war again. There's a tug of war. It's been stopped for months now, and only Satan's been pulling, and he's running with it as fast as he can. There's some grip taking hold this morning. I'm proud of them. I'm happy for them. They're standing up. We will never, ever shut down here. Ever. There's too much at stake. You can't have a kid's ministry. You can't have a kid's camp. I don't know if that kid's going to hear the gospel for the first time and the last time at this kid's camp, 2020, and never hear the gospel. We're going to preach the gospel and tell them about Jesus and how much he loves them. We're never, ever going to stop this. It's wrong. Everything about it feels wrong. Oh, it's just. Oh, it's just. Oh, it's just. You don't understand. You're concerned about the physical. You're a doctor. I get it. That's your job. I'm concerned about eternity. Your job is physical security. Mine is spiritual security. I'm here to talk about Jesus. You're here to talk about medications. You're all going to die in this room. I didn't know if you knew that or not. You're going to die of old age. You're going to die of cancer. You're going to have a heart attack. You're going to get COVID. I don't know what you're going to die of, but you're all going to die. 200 years from now, I say that because the kids were smart with me during the camp. I might live to be 130. Okay. (laughs) That's ministering to... To teens right there. I, I might. No, you're not, but okay. 200 years, you'll all be dead. But eternity starts after you die. Fine. Save a life. Protect as many people as possible. But if you save a life to send them into hell, what good is it? We need to talk about Jesus and share him with as many people as possible. That never, ever, ever ends. That can't stop. I paused it, and I believe it was the Lord. We got our cameras up and running. We got our online presence going, but then he switched our hearts and said, "Uh, that's it. Now we got this going. Don't do it anymore. Let's go. Keep going forward. Just got to be led by the Spirit and do what he tells us to do. That's where we're at. So if you didn't know, now you do. Now you do. Okay. Where am I? Verse 17. Changed his name. There we go. Then the king of Babylon made Mattataniah, Jehoiachin's uncle, king in this place, and changed his name to Zedekiah. Zedekiah. Okay. Zedekiah was 21 years old when he became king, and he reigned 11 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Hamutal, Hamutal, the daughter of Jeremiah of Libna. He also did evil in the sight of the Lord, according to all that Jehoiakim had done. For because of the anger of the Lord, this happened in Jerusalem and Judah. And he finally cast him out from his presence. Then Zedekiah rebelled against the king of Babylon. Remember that that rebellion is. Chapter 25, the first 12 verses in Hebrew, which I'm not going to take the time to teach you. But if you looked at it, it doesn't translate well. Each, this is one long sentence in Hebrew from 1 to 12. There is no pause. You talk about a run-on sentence, right? 
In Hebrew, every verse begins with and. And the idea, and we don't normally get and understand Israeli poetry or Israeli songs. They're not snappy. They don't rhyme. I like roses or red. I get that. Their stuff doesn't, but they build upon each other. And so the idea of these 12 verses is like a clock ticking off. If you can think of that, it's and, 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 and. And if you're supposed to feel this sense of, oh my, it's total destruction. You can feel it, you know? And so I'll try to read it the best I can because in English it doesn't do that, but you get the idea. As he switches from subjects, you're going to see the power and the overwhelming uh, sense of uh, doom, I guess, is what he's trying to bring across. They're just, it's horrible. Now it came to pass in the ninth month of his reign, in the tenth month, on the tenth day of the month, that Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, and all his army came against Jerusalem and camped against it. And they built a siege wall against it all around. And the city was besieged until the 11th year of King Zedekiah. In the ninth day of the fourth month, the famine had become so severe in the city that there was no food for the people of the land. And the city wall was broken through, and all the men of war fled at night by way of the gate between the two walls, which was by the king's garden, even though the Chaldeans were still encamped all around against the city. And the king went by way of the plain. They're completely abandoned. Army. King, leadership, it's all going away. But the army of the Chaldeans pursued the king, and they overtook him in the plains of Jericho. Pause. How ironic is that? As Joshua brings across the nation of Israel out of Egypt, out of the world, from slavery into a new walk with the Lord, passed through the Red Sea, passing through the Jordan, the first town they get to is Jericho. And God conquers it for them simply by marching around. Imagine, generations later, in captivity, walking back across the Jordan, seeing the ruins of Jericho on the right-hand side. What would you be thinking? How did I get here? How did we as a nation get to the place where we're now going back to Babylon, back to the world, back to whatever? Slavery. There's Jericho. You guys remember Jericho? Remember how close we were to God? Remember how we felt? Remember how powerful he was in our lives? How devoted we were to him? How did I get here? How did we get here? God will be faithful to do that to us. If you your turn and walk away from the Lord and begin to backslide away from him, maybe you're that person this morning and that's why you're here. You'll remember that time. I remember when I was walking close to the Lord. How did I get here? How did I get so far away from him? They're walking by Jericho. All his army was scattered from him. So they took the king and brought him up to the king of Babylon at Riblah, and they pronounced judgment on him. Then they killed the sons of Zedekiah before his eyes, then put out his eyes of King Zedekiah, bound him with bronze fetters, and took him to Babylon. This is a fulfillment of Ezekiel chapter 12, verse 13 of prophecy that the king would be taken captive, that his eyes would be put out, but he would not see Babylon. It's exactly what happened. He got halfway there. They put out his eyes after the last thing he sees or the death of his own kids so that there are no other memories or pictures in his mind, but the last thing he saw burned and etched is his children being lost, being killed. Cruel, cruel. Satan is cruel. 
He is not our buddy. He's not in charge of hell. It's not a party town down there, as the world would love to lead us to believe. Hey, you can go with the lame folks up in heaven, or you can be with the partiers down here, man. That's what Budweiser wants to show you. It's a party down here, man. It's awesome. No, Satan's not in charge. He's a prisoner. He's captive. And we are going to look upon him who troubled the whole world, this Satan, and we're going to say, is this the one that troubled us? He's nothing, but he is a destroyer. He's a liar, a deceiver. He hates you. He hates your family. He hates your kids. And he would love nothing more than to kill them in front of you. Make sure we know who our enemy is here. Satan is our enemy. Never take your eyes off that thug. He's out to kill and destroy, and he does it. How did I get here? You got here by being rebellious against the God who saved you. And you walked in the ways of your sin to the point where he had to take you out. Be careful. And in the fifth month, on the seventh day of the month, which was the 19th year of King Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, Nebuzaradan, the captain of the guard, a servant of the king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem. He burned the house of the Lord and the king's house, all the houses of Jerusalem, uh, that is, all the houses of the great. He burned with fire. And all the army of the Chaldeans who were with the captain of the guard broke down the walls of Jerusalem all around. Then Nebuzaradan, the captain of the guard, carried away captives, the rest of the people who remained in the city and the defectors who had deserted to the king of Babylon with the rest of the multitude. But the captain of the guard left some of the poor of the land as vine dressers and farmers. This is interesting to me. It's just a comment. But as I read this, I, I think about this temple that we're talking about is Solomon's temple, the, the beautiful one, the one that David wanted to build and saved up all the building materials because he was a man of blood and couldn't build it, but his son could. So Solomon gets raised up and Solomon builds this beautiful temple. That's why it's called Solomon's temple, full of all this, oh, just amazing. Well, it's gone now. It's all gone. Everything has been burned down, and they're going to describe the destruction of the temple here in the next few verses. There's a second temple that will be built in Ezra as we get to it. This temple's not as great as Solomon's temple, but it's still a temple. And then we have the verse that describes the old folks that remember the glory of Solomon's temple, and they weep because the new temple's nothing like it. But the new people, the young folks, are like, well, at least it's a temple. At least we could still begin to worship God. So there was weeping, but no one could discern between the two. That temple gets destroyed after Jesus is resurrected from the dead and the church is started. And 70 years later, Antiochus Epiphanes comes in and knocks down this second temple that's built in Ezra. But there's a third temple. It's built during the time of the Great Tribulation period, Revelation 6 through 19, which we're coming up on awfully fast. If you go to Israel, you'll look out over the land and they'll point out there's a tell. There's a tell. Tel Aviv. You get the idea? The idea is these round green mountains or mounds in the middle of the land. Like, what is that? Well, those are where cities used to be and they would build upon the foundation of the last one. And so pretty soon they get pretty high up, a little smaller, because <laughs> your base is what you hold on to. But that's what they would do. When you go into Jerusalem, you'll see the wailing wall there. Huge rocks. But all that wailing wall is where you do your prayer, you put it in a piece of paper and you shove it in the crack and they clean that out every once in a while, but you stick it in there. That's the retaining wall for the side of the hill is all that is. It has nothing to do with the temple itself. 
If you walk around this mount, which I'll let you do, where the uh, the tabern or the temple should be, you'll see big rocks, a couple of them that have been thrown down, huge. Those were a part of the temple. Those were part of it. You can't touch them. They won't let you get in there and grab a piece. They'd be gone by now. We Christians are little rock thieves is what we are. We're like little mementos. So Christians, stay away, okay? We know what this means. It means a lot to us too. But you can look at it. You see this giant thing that's crushed, you know? But that's all we have is this wall left. It's like that's the, the third temple will be built up there, but it's going to be built by the Antichrist. He builds the third temple for the nation of Israel and then sets himself up as God in the temple. And then they realize, whoa, we've made a terrible mistake, and that's for another Bible study. If you're wondering where we are in Revelation, in the book, we're in chapters 2 and 3 right now. That's the seven letters to the churches, the church age. Jesus writes seven letters to seven different churches and explains to them things he likes, things he doesn't like. There's only two churches we want to be a part of. The church is persecuted in the Philadelphia church, which has a little bit of power. I wish we had a whole lot, but we don't. We have a little bit of power. We've never denied his name, and we love his word. We've stuck with him. He's our first love, and always, that's what we want to be a part of. And don't make the mistake of thinking it's a denomination. Right here in this room, we probably have all seven churches represented. Churches that are apostate. Churches that have a little bit of power and are walking with the Lord. Churches that are persecuted. Every one of you is in a different place. We want, for the most part, to be the, a church of Philadelphia. We would love that for Calvary Chapel to be a church of Philadelphia. I want that for my life, but we are the sum of our parts. It's up to you whether you're a church of Philadelphia or a persecuted church of Smyrna or whatever. You do not want to be a part of the other five, for Jesus tells them in each one of his letters, if you don't change your ways, I'm going to remove my lampstand from you. and You will be in that great tribulation period. It's just a check. We each can only examine our own hearts. Am I a sort of Christian? Am I an all-in Christian? Or am I in a Christian in name only, with no power, having a form of godliness but denying the power? All in. All in. And so we have these temples being built. This one's destroyed. I wonder about these farmers and vine dressers that are left behind. We don't want to lose the crops by taking everybody away. So leave these guys that know how to do the agriculture in this part of the world. Let them take care of the crops. I wonder if it took them a while to figure out they weren't their crops anymore. Taking care of the vines like they've always done on their property. Taking care of the corn or whatever they were growing like they've always done on their property until the Babylonians came back and said, those are ours. And it finally settles in that we've been captive and prisoners the entire time and didn't know it. We just haven't been in prison. That could sneak up on us. We have pocket constitutions out there if you'd like to read them. Take them with you. Nobody can take those rights away from you. They're not man-given. They're God-given. That's why they wrote it that way. Those are your rights from God. Man can't suspend them just because they feel like suspending them. I'm in charge. I'm okay until they decide you're not. Be careful. Keep your eyes wide open. We don't live in the time of emperors. We don't live in the time of Caesar. We're a representative republic. We don't have rulers. Congressmen are not our rulers. Senators are not our rulers. Presidents aren't our rulers. The judicial court is not our rulers. 
They're elected representatives of the people. We're the government. So I'm going to hand out my political signs now. Sorry, just said it. I'm just saying. Those verses that some pastors are using today to show servitude are misused. We're supposed to submit ourselves to the governing authority. You are the governing authority. Don't make, the, don't make the mistake of thinking they're governors over you. They're not. They're representatives that can be voted out. They're people like you and me that we decided, why don't you go up there and speak for us for a while, and if we don't like what you say, we're moving you and putting somebody else in. That's how it works here. We don't have edicts. Be careful. Someday they may just come and just decide to take it. You didn't realize they could. The bronze pillars that were in the house of the Lord and the carts and the bronze sea that were in the house of the Lord. The Chaldeans broke in pieces and carried their bronze to Babylon. They also took away the pots, the shovels, the trimmers, the spoons, all the bronze utensils with which the priests ministered. See, these mean nothing to the people conquering. They mean everything to the people that served in the house of the Lord. These are valuable to me, not because of their gold or their intrinsic value of the metal that they're made of, but because of what they represent and what they're used for. They just wanted the bronze and the gold. We don't care what they're for. And the world doesn't understand these things. The two pillars, one sea and the carts which Solomon had made for the house of the Lord, the bronze of all these articles was beyond measure. The height of one pillar was 18 cubits and the capital on it was a bronze. The height of the capital was three cubits and the network and pomegranates all around the capital were of olive bronze. The second pillar was the same with the network. Big stuff. In John chapter 2, verses 18 through 22, so the Jews answered and said to him, Jesus, what sign do you show us since you do these things? He just got done flipping tables for the first time. He'll do it again. Jesus answered and said to them, destroy this temple and in three days I will raise it up. And the Jews said, it's taken 46 years to build this temple. That's the Ezra temple they're talking about. And will you raise it up in three days? But he was speaking of the temple of his body. Therefore, when he had risen from the dead, his disciples remembered that he had said to them, and they believed the scripture and the word which Jesus had said. Oh, this temple. Later on in John chapter 4, verses 23 through 24, but the hour is coming, Jesus says, and now is, when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is spirit. And seeking such to worship those. So God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. Jesus is making a transition. Temple's not going to be here now that I've come. It always represented me and what I would do, but it's going to be gone in 70 AD, and now you are the temple of the Holy Spirit, which changes the thought and the idea of all the things we've just read, all the utensils, all the things that were in the temple. The only people that could go into the temple to serve were the high priest. Guys, our heart is the temple of the Holy Spirit. The only people that should be in there is Jesus. Everything in the temple, my body, the temple, all its vessels, all its utensils, my eyes, my ears, my nose, my mouth, my sense of feeling, should all have to do with bringing God glory. And when I bring in other things, I'm doing exactly what they do. I have temple booths inside for sodomy. I have things that are defiled and changed, and, and, and I've got worship of other gods all mixed together in my body. And God says, no, 
that is set apart for me. Don't you know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit? Get rid of all that stuff. That quarter of the Gentiles that you had brought in stuff and thought it was okay, that space is meant for prayer. Reclaim that space that's been taken up in your lives that's designed for prayer, and you filled it with other things that brought gratitude to the flesh. Flip those tables. It's okay. You put them there. I put them there. Set that place aside for prayer. There's no better, no better way to spend it. There's room for the other stuff outside, eating and drinking and taking care of your family and all these things, but make sure you don't neglect that court of prayer. That we don't neglect the service of God in here to bring him glory, to worship him, to bring sacrifices to him, the sacrifice of praise, to honor Jesus and his death on the cross for our sins, which we're about to do here this morning. Don't forget those things. Don't pollute them with anything else. There is no room for it in the temple of God. It should all be gone. And the captain of the guard took Sariah, the chief priest, Zephaniah, the second priest, and the three doorkeepers. He also took out of the city an officer who had charge of the men of war, five men of the king's close associates who were found in the city, and the chief recruiting officer of the army who mustered the people of the land, and 60 men of the people of the land who were found in the city. So Nebuzaradan, captain of the guard, took these and brought them to the king of Babylon at Riblah. And the king of Babylon struck them and put them to death at Riblah in the land of Hamath. Thus Judah was carried away captive from its own land. And let me add, entirely. When Satan comes into a life, he's not pleased to just have a foothold. He continues to creep. He continues to move in. Funny we got all these seeds from China. What a weird thing was that. Or is that? I don't know if it's still going on or not. And one guy said, I planted them, and boy, they grew fast. I bet they did. It's called invasive plants. I'm not sure if it was an attack or just some guy who says, yes, yeah, send it to everybody. I think it'd be a good idea. We've got our name out there. You know, maybe it's some property. I don't know what accent I used there. I tried to blend it. A little Italian, a little Russian, and maybe some others. I didn't want to offend anybody. I wanted to offend everybody this morning. <laughs> Sin is invasive. Just little seeds that get planted here and there begin to take over the entire crop until you realize it's taking all the nutrients, moisture, sun away from what you wanted to grow there. Sin is complete. Babylon is very thorough. We're going to take all of you. And he goes in searching for a handful of people and puts them to death to make sure there's nobody left to bring back a rebellion against him. Our sin is brutal. And it needs to be dealt with brutally. Then he made Gedaliah, and I'm not going to pronounce these well, the son of Ahiakam, the son of Shaphan, governor over the people. Not ruler, not king. You can be a governor. Nothing but a taskmaster. Over the people who remained in the land of Judah from Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, had left. You poor slobs that are taking care of the crops, I got a guy for you. He'll take care of you. He'll make sure you're doing what you're supposed to do. Now, when all the captains of the armies, they and their men, heard that the king of Babylon had made Gedaliah governor, they came to Gedaliah of Mizpah. Why do you think these guys are coming? Okay, so what's the plan? 
How do we get this back? How do we undo this? What, what's our guerrilla warfare? What are we going to do? Ishmael, the son of uh, Nethaniah. Johanan, the son of Kara. Sarariah, the son of Tanhumath. Uh, Nef- <laughs> Netophel, that guy. And <laughs> Jezaniah, the son of that guy. They and their men all came to him. And this is what this guy says. He, he takes an oath before them. And here's his words of encouragement to these men of war. Do not be afraid of the servants of the Chaldeans. Dwell in the land and serve the king of Babylon, and it shall be well with you. I don't think that's what they were looking for. I know it's not. They're going to kill him here in the next sentence. You want us to do what? Just submit. It's great. I mean, we get king stuff. They don't beat us like they're beating the other people. Just keep your cool. Do what you're told. Skate. Easy. Yeah, no. See, that's the biggest concern for me. I don't mind persecuting the church or the church being persecuted. We tend to get on fire when that happens. That's fine. What I'm worried about is complacency and favor. See, I, learning how to abound, like Paul said, that's the feat. That's the, that's the difficulty. Learning how to be abased, well, we could do that. I think we, we can handle that. It's learning how to abound. When I've got everything I need, when all the money's there, when I, when I can pay my bills, when I can uh, buy whatever I want, I can go on vacation here, I can buy that ATV or that side-by-side, or I can get that land, or I can do whatever I want to. All of a sudden, I'm not praying anymore because I don't need. I've got. They say money can't buy us happiness. We know that. We've been taught since kindergarten. But, boy, some of the people that are abounding are like, mm, kind of can. I bought a cruise ship. I bought Rome. I bought that truck I always wanted. I got that boat. Family's never been closer on the boat. We've been having a great time, you know. That's the concern. That's the death of the church. Abundance. Don't be afraid. Just give in to it. Let it happen, man. But it happened in the seventh month that Ishmael, the son of Nathaniah, the son of Elishema of the royal family, came with ten men and struck and killed Gedaliah. Well, I guess it's not so good, is it, buddy? the Jews as well as the Chaldeans who were with him at Mizpah. And all the people, small and great, and the captains of the armies arose and went to Egypt, for they were afraid of the Chaldeans. It's a little, little insurgency beginning. They're ready to return. Now it came to pass in the 37th year of the captivity of uh, Jehoiachin, king of Judah, in the 12th month, on the 27th day of the month, that evil Muradoch, or Murdoch, king of Babylon, in the year that he began to reign, released Jehoiachin, king of Judah, from prison. He spoke kindly to him and gave him a more prominent seat than those of the kings who were with him at Babylon. So Jehoiachin changed from his prison garments, and he ate bread regularly uh, from before the king all the days of his life. Ah. And as for his provisions, there was a regular ration. You know what another word for that is? An allowance. Good boy. Given him by the king a portion for each day, all the days of his life. Sickening. 1 Corinthians 6, Or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and you are not your own? For you were bought at a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. We're ambassadors for Christ here on earth. Our citizenship is in heaven. We've been assigned to this country, the United States of America, to represent him properly here. That's all we're called to do, to worship God and to represent Jesus here. 
We need to serve. We need to love him. We need to worship him. We need to tell people about him. We need to start handing out citizenship cards. We need to lead people to the Lord. Have them followers of Jesus Christ. Tell them about him and what he's done. That's our calling. That's what we're called to do. And we need to get at it. We're going to have communion now. A time where we hand out a piece of bread and a cup of juice that reminds us of the death of Jesus Christ on the cross, which is the reason we're here, which is the reason we're citizens in heaven, which is the reason we were adopted into the family of God, all because of what he did. And he said, as often as you eat this and drink this, do this in remembrance of me. And as we remember what he did and the outcome of that, being a son of God or a daughter of God, becoming a citizen of heaven because of his sacrifice on the cross, I pray that during this time we'd renew our gumption, our purpose, and understand what we're still here for. And it's not to just live a a carefree life. It's to represent our Father. We've been given a firm handshake from our dad. We should still feel it in our hands. That he's now called us to be his representatives here on earth. I pray that we would. We never keep our mouths shut, that we'd never be quiet about him. Remember, they tried to do that to the disciples. Remember the edicts of the day where we told you not to speak in his name anymore. And the response was correct. Is it right for me to obey man rather than God? Of course not. I will obey my rulers, but my ruler is King Jesus. And anytime the rulers of this world interfere with the ruler of my king, my king wins. I pray that we remember that. Lord, we thank you for this bread and this cup. We thank you for what it represents that you gave this to us to remind us of the sacrifice you made for us. It wasn't a light sacrifice. It was heavy. The burden was heavy on us. Our sin, the weight of it was on our shoulders and you lifted it off and placed it upon yourself at the cross. All of my sin, all of our sins, past, present, and future, were nailed to the cross, and you were the perfect sacrifice that takes away the sin of the world. We believe that this morning. We receive that this morning. So, God, we remember you. We don't forget why we're citizens or that we're citizens. We don't forget that you're our Father and that we're adopted into your family. We don't forget. We remember you, Jesus. We thank you for what you've done for us on the cross. Lord, as we hold this bread and this cup in our hands as a reminder of what you've done for us as a family, we love you and we want to say that. Thank you for what you've done. We thank you for the peace that we have with you, that the thing that was separating us from you has been taken care of, that you bridged the gap. Now we can boldly come to your throne of grace and mercy in time of need, and we do so this morning. Thank you for forgiving us of our sins for it being complete and total. There's nothing we can add to that forgiveness. There's nothing we can add to that sacrifice. It was perfect and acceptable to you. And we're thankful. It showed us how much you loved us. That's how we know love, that you laid down your life for us, not because we were your friends, but because we were your enemies. You still laid down your life for us. Lord, help us to remember that. We consider ourselves friends with you. You do too. We're grateful for that. But that's not how this relationship started. We appreciate you, Lord. We worship you this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. See you.